Well, welcome to Wilshire, everyone. We are grateful to have you with us. It's good to see uh, people in the audience uh, that haven't been here for a while. It's nice to have Ike read for us and Jeremy speak to us. It's good to see Tony sitting over there. Uh, it was fun. Uh, I was grateful to Ike to chronicle the trip that uh, Ike and Tony and Jeremy took. Uh, I got to live vicariously a little bit. And if you haven't been to the Facebook uh, Ike's pictures, you should go. They are really impressive, and they saw a lot of great stuff. And so, uh, and and after after the service, you should go and and uh, talk to those men about what they experienced. Does God care about politics? I think you're right. Whoever said yes, I appreciate that. Um, the United States is one of the very first countries in history to have a written constitution, and it's the first country, I think, to have a clause in the actual constitution that declares a separation between church and state, a separation between church and religion. First Amendment to the constitution, in fact, enshrines that. It's been there uh, almost the entire history of our country, that the state, the government, is one thing, religion is another thing. I think it's pretty clear if you go back and look at what writers were saying at the time that that First Amendment was adopted, that what the intent of that amendment is, is essentially this idea, there should be no government compulsion about faith. That's really the intent. That whenever the government compels faith, horrible things happen. And sadly, they were really writing about Christians and Christian governments who had repeatedly in multiple forms in the history of Europe, forced or tried to force faith on their citizenry. And what the First Amendment was saying is, faith doesn't work like that. Religion is too big a thing for it to be something that the government tells you what, what to do with. The government is within its rights to tell you taxes and roadways and, I suppose today, speed limits. But religion is too big a thing for the government to try to talk about it. What Peter and John said to the Sanhedrin is, has always been true about religion. Judge for yourselves whether we should obey God or human beings. And that, and that question clearly invites the answer. Of course, if you have to choose between the will of the government authorities or the will of God, you have to choose God. There can't be compulsion in matters of faith. You just can't. It doesn't work like that. 
Now, in our day, that separation clause of the First Amendment has come to mean something else. That religion is, by its nature, essentially a private affair that has no ramifications for how government works or what government is. Government is a separate entity, a separate species. Religion is something you do. It determines maybe how you look at the world and your private values. You need to keep it to yourself and let politics do its thing. I'm not going to cite you passages or thinkers who have made that case, but it is all over our culture now. And I'm here to say to you, this is a one-shot sermon from one prophet in the Old Testament. His voice is multiplied in many others, especially of the prophetic voices. That just doesn't work either. God is all over politics. He always has been. He always will be. God is involved in our political life, just like he's involved in every other part, every other aspect of the life we live together. If you have your Bibles, turn to the little book of the prophet Amos. The big prophets are pretty easy to find. You get to Psalms, and then you keep turning. You find Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Then you get to Daniel and Hosea and Joel. And eventually, you'll get to Amos, about nine chapters long. And Amos was not even a prophet. There were people who kind of, that was their main career. Amos was a farmer from what, we, what he says about himself. And he tended sycamore trees. I don't know what you tend sycamore trees for, but that's what he said he did. And God just came to him and said, I need you to go and deliver a message to the northern kingdom of Israel the kingdom that is based in Samaria. I need you to say some words to them. They need to hear my word. He's actually from the south, from the kingdom of Judah. He's not native to that northern kingdom. He goes up there and he begins to preach. Now we know, actually there's some evidence within the text, if you look in chapter 7 and 8, we know that Amos was not popular. In fact, you can pretty much take it to the bank. Any of the people that are prophets in our Bible, when they were prophesying, they were not popular. If we had had the like and dislike system of Facebook, none of these guys would have had likes enough to even be noticed by us. If we'd had the Nielsen rating system, how we determine what are hit shows. None of these guys would have ever, ever been on our radar. These are the minority voices, the remnant voices that speak 
for God. And that's definitely Amos. He may have been pretty much a minority of one by the time he goes up to Samaria. What's his message? Well, he has several, but his message is this. <laughs> we, Ike read this part of this from Amos chapter 5. Look at Amos chapter 5, verse 18, if you don't have the study sheet. Amos chapter 5, verse 18. Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Wait a minute. I thought the day of the Lord was good. The day of the Lord when God comes to judge. Why, why shouldn't we long for that? We've got it in our prayers. We've got it in our psalms. The day of the Lord is coming. Yay! Woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. Why would you say that, Amos? Why do you long for the day of the Lord? That day will be darkness and not light. It will be as though a man fled from a lion, only me to bear. As though he entered his house and rested his hand on a wall, only to have a snake bite him. Will not the day of the Lord be darkness and not light, pitch black, without a ray of brightness? Amos says, you have hope that when God comes in judgment, things are going to go great. It's going to solve all your problems. Not like that at all. It's like running away from a serial killer. You come home, you lock the door, and the police say, the call was coming from inside the house. Right? That's the imagery here. That's how Amos starts his sermon. It's really an interesting kind of judo move. He kind of gets the judgmentalism of the northern Israelites going. If you read Amos chapter 1, it says, for three sins of Damascus, even for four, I will not relent and I'll burn the cities of Damascus down. And, and he explains what it is that they've done wrong. And then if you skip down to verse 6, for three sins of Gaza, even for four, I will not relent, says the Lord. And then if you skip down to verse 9, for three sins of Tyre. And you can see, people said, okay, this southern preacher, I, I like what I'm hearing. Because who are these people that he's calling out? Damascus and Tyre and Gaza. These are all their enemies. These are the people that surround the northern kingdom. And it's like, yeah, that's right. God doesn't like those folks. There's a lot wrong with them. They're, they're immoral and they're idol worshipers. And have you seen the way they treat their poor people? It's just terrible. Yeah, God's going to get them. The day of the Lord, yeah, buddy. And he keeps on going. He, he goes through Ammon, the Lord won't relent. Moab, the Lord won't relent. He even calls out his own nation for three sins of Judah, even for four. I will not relent, says the Lord. And they go, okay, this guy, he's not afraid of anybody. He'll just say the Lord's will. That's right. He, by the time he ends, he's, he, every enemy, essentially, that's neighboring or close to the northern kingdom, he has said, God's justice is real, and God is coming to judge wickedness. And they're all going, yeah, preach it, preach it. And then he lowers the boom, about the middle of, verse, of chapter 2. And look at what he says. Chapter 2, starting about verse 6. 
And this is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, that's the northern kingdom, that's the main name of the northern kingdom. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. And he starts, and it's the longest passage of all of these. He starts listing off what God finds wrong with the kingdom of Israel. They sell the innocent for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. They don't care whether you're guilty or innocent. If they can manipulate the court system to make a little profit, if they can manipulate the legal system to gouge a little bit more out of you, they are happy to do it. That's what poor people are for. That's what people with lousy lawyers are all about. They are there so I can squeeze more money for myself. That's exactly what he says. That's what the northern kingdom is like. They trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. They deny justice to the oppressed. Father and son use the same girl and so profane my holy name. They lie down beside every altar on garments they've taken in pledge. In the house of their God, they drink wine taken as fines. Yet I destroyed the Amorites before them, though they were as tall as cedars and strong as oats. I destroyed their fruit above and their roots below. I brought you out of Egypt and I led you 40 years in the wilderness to give you the land of the Amorites. I raised up prophets from among your children and Nazarites, which is like a special religious order, Nazarites from among your youths. Is this not true, people of Israel, says the Lord? But you made the Nazarites drink wine. You commanded the prophecies not to prophesy. Now then, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. The swift won't escape. The strong will not muster their strength. The warrior will not save his life. The archer will not stand his ground. The fleet-footed soldier will not get away. The horseman will not save his life. Even the bravest warriors will flee naked and away on that day, declares the Lord. That's pretty bad. He gets them all judgmental. He gets them, yeah, God hates injustice. Look at all the unjust people. We've been, we've been telling God, we've been praying to God about Amnon and Moab and Gaza. We've been telling God that he needs to do something. Here's the message. It is a fearful thing to pray to God to judge evil. Because God's judgment has no political loyalties. I got to say, I think we should pray to God to judge evil. But believe me, God's going to judge all the evil. I find it very frightening when a country or a political party or even a church points fingers out and says, God's going to bring wrath on that group because of the way they're behaving. 
because it's true. But it ignores the fact that God's judgment falls equally on everyone who does wrong. This is a somber truth. I think we should pray for God's judgment. I think we should first start with our repentance. It is a fearful thing to pray for God to judge evil. People just toss it out there cavalierly. It is nothing to play with. The day of the Lord, for many, will be darkness and not light, Amos says. Amos chapter 3, I'm going to have you skip around a bit. Amos chapter 3, look at verses 10 and 11. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, who store up in their fortresses what they have plundered and looted. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says, an enemy will overrun your land and pull down your strongholds and plunder your fortresses. Or Amos 4, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. On Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. The sovereign Lord has sworn by his holiness, the time will surely come when you will be taken away with hooks, the last of you with fish hooks. Or Amos 5, back to Amos 5, verse 10 and following. There are those who hate the ones who upholds justice in court and they detest the one who tells the truth. You levy a straw tax on the poor and impose a tax on their grain. Therefore, though you've built stone mansions, you will not live in them. Though you have planted lush vineyards, you will not drink their wine. For I know how many are your offenses and how great your sins. There are those who oppress the innocent and they take bribes and they deprive the poor of justice in the courts. Therefore, the prudent keep quiet in such times, for the times are evil. Seek good and not evil that you may live and then the Lord God Almighty will be with you just as you say he is. The picture of Amos and Amos is is concise more than Isaiah although Isaiah says much the same Jeremiah says much the same but Isaiah just compacts all this into these nine chapters so it's very beautiful. The picture of Isaiah is that this is not just an indictment of the king, though it is an indictment of the king. This is not just an indictment of the nobility and the governing class, though it is an indictment of the governing class. It's not just those people up there. By the time you read all of Amos, you realize Everybody is caught up in a system where the strong, if you've got some power, you've been tempted and many have fallen into the temptation of using what power you have to squeeze a little more profit or squeeze a little more out of those who are below you in the power scale, in the money scale. That's the way the society has worked. And Amos says, God is going to bring that into judgment. He, 
He yells at the, the rich women. He yells at the, the leadership. He yells at anybody who's got even, even minor con men who are running scams in the courts just to get a little, a little profit, a pair of sandals sometimes, a little bit of silver. Everybody who's got a little bit of power falls under God's judgment when they abuse that power. God judges everyone with some power based on how they treat those with less power. And, and when Amos helps us understand that, if we meditate on what Amos says, we realize that's a general principle. If you have power, God has given you that power. If you're smart, God has given you that smart. If you have some money, it's because God has given you that money. If you had a little position in your job or in your family, it's because God has given you that. And God expects you to use what he has given you to serve the will of God. The serpent of the garden is always there whispering in your ear. Yeah, but God doesn't know what's really going to be fun to do with this. You won't die if you deviate from the will of God and, and use your power for a little fun of your own. It won't kill anybody. It won't kill you. Serpent's always whispering that. And God says, if you've got power... I'm watching how you treat the people who have power less than you. How do you behave towards your children? How do you behave towards the cashier at the grocery store or the person checking you out at Burger King? That's a real power imbalance. I don't care who you are, that's a power imbalance. They are forced to tell you to have a nice day, no matter how you act. How do you behave? Nobody else in the society much cares if you're a jerk in those situations. Amos says, God does. God cares. Because you've been given power so that you can do some of God's will with it. When you use it for other stuff, God cares. God cares. Look over in Amos chapter 8, verses 2 through 7. What do you see, Amos? God asked, a basket of ripe fruit, I answered. Then the Lord said, the time is ripe for my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. In that day, declares the sovereign Lord, the songs of the temple will turn to wailing. Many, many bodies flung everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and do away with the poor of the land, saying, 
when will the new moon festival be over so we can sell grain and, and uh, raise the price? When can the Sabbath be ended so we may market wheat? Skimping the measure, boosting the price, cheating with dishonest scales, buying the poor with silver, the needy for a pair of sandals, selling even the sweepings with the wheat. The Lord has sworn by himself the pride of Jacob. I will never forget anything they have done. You see a society, the leaders are bad. The second rank of leaders are bad. And you might be tempted to say, yeah, if we just had better leaders, we'd be better off. But God says, yeah, but I'm holding all of you responsible. The little cheats in the local market, you know what you did. And God knows what you did. Sweeping up the dust to make the grain weigh a little bit more. You know what you did. Nobody else saw you. I saw. And the worst part about it is, you did it right after church. You thought about it during church. Oh man, when will this sermon end so I can get back to Oh, it's bad. It's bad. Back to our Amos 5 passage that I read. Look at verse Amos 5, verses 21 through 24. There are a couple of times in the Old Testament where God says, I'm tired of church. I don't know, do you ever get tired of church? Okay, don't answer that. I don't want to know. It will hurt my feelings. Sometimes church goes long even for a preacher, you know? You get tired of church sometimes. Do you know that God gets tired of church? The reason why God gets tired of church is not the reason you and I do. The reason why God gets tired of church is when church is being used as a mirage to hide us from our true selves. I'm putting on a little show of righteousness with little puppets. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Look at me. Well, I have, the rest of the week, I don't even think about Jesus. I sure don't peep, treat people like Jesus. I have no intention of changing to start treating people like Jesus. But boy, when the door's open, I'm back in church. I love Jesus. I love Jesus. Look at me. And God, a couple of times, in Isaiah he says it, here in Amos he says it, I hate church. Amos 5 verse 21, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your churches, your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me bird offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I will have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. But let justice roll down like a river. 
righteousness like a never-failing stream. You want your worship to be pleasing to God? You want God to hear your songs? I don't care if you can sing or not. You want God to hear your songs? Listen to your prayers? Then do justice. There are poor people. There are oppressed people. There are people who've never heard the gospel. You have some power. You can do some things. Do justice. The very end, chapter 9, there's a passage that actually gets a call back in the New Testament in Acts 15. In chapter 9, about verse 11, Amos has a vision. Even though he's mostly talked about judgment, he has this vision. In that day, he doesn't say what day, but it's a day in the future. In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent. King David, long dead. Everybody, even the northern kingdom, knew, yeah, man, when we had King David, that was pretty good. In that day, I will restore David's fallen tent. I will repair its broken places. I will restore its ruins. And I will build it as it used to be. So that they may possess the remnant of Eden. And all nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. What an interesting prophecy. He's up in the northern kingdom, which is a political and military rival to the southern kingdom. It's kind of like somebody going to San Antonio, Texas and saying, God is going to restore the canons of Santa Ana. How would that go over if you like stood in the Alamo, let's say, and, and preached that sermon? Okay, not a lot of history buffs here. Got it? But even the northern kingdom knew, yeah, okay, David was a pretty good king, and we were united, and we were powerful, and yeah, restoring the tent of David. And notice what Amos said, all the nations have the name of God. All the nations belong to God. That's right. Instead of these nations coming in and plundering and taking our stuff, when that day comes, we'll be the top nation. We'll be able to go and plunder. We'll be able to go and take their stuff. And it's like, I can imagine Amos just saying, have you not been listening to a word God has been saying? When that day comes, when David is restored, the new David, the son of David comes, that power for God will be meant to be used for the will of God. And the greatest will not be the people with the fanciest ivory couches. The greatest will be the ones who serve the most. The ones who are judged righteous will be the ones who when somebody's hungry, they give them something to eat. 
When they're thirsty, they give them something to drink. When they're naked, they're the ones who step up and put clothes on their back. When they're in prison, they bring them help. When they're sick, they bring them comfort. That's who's going to be judged righteous in that day when David is raised back up, the new David. Let justice roll down like waters. Let's pray. Dear God, we know we live in a fallen world and our politics is always going to be marred by sin. But God, help us to do justice. Whatever power you give us, power to vote, power of our money that we have, power of our influence and our words, God, whatever power we have, help us to be just people, to do your righteousness in this world, to make things a little better in the ways that you've given us power to do so. God, day by day, minute by minute, we ask for your spirit to build that within us so that we will be instruments of your peace and your justice in this world. These things we pray in the name of your mighty son, Jesus. Amen. If you need to respond to the invitation, there's something you need public prayers about, you want to tell the congregation about it and ask for prayers, or there's something else that you need to share publicly, or if today is the day that you want to put on Jesus Christ in baptism, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.